in that experience, what I've learned is for me to pause, for me to recognize that already when I meet with a group of others, we're both bringing something. I have something to offer, but they have something to offer. And the value of this is this third thing that we create that doesn't exist before we come together. And so Click enabled a deepening experience with that way of teaching, teaching and learning at the same time. It's not just the instructor that's teaching. The instructor's also learning, right? Mm -hmm. And it's not just that the participants in this case are learning, they're also teaching. That kind of relationship that is built in that environment really is beneficial for all of us. Welcome to The Journey Here, a podcast that profiles the stories of community builders from all walks of life. I'm your host, Steve Dooley. My guest today is Kathleen Burke, University Lecturer, Strategy, Business and Society, with the Beatty School of Business at Simon Fraser University. Welcome, Kathleen. Thank you, Steve. Delighted to, uh, to be asked to join you here today. This is, this is great. Excellent. We were, we were talking in the, in the pre-show about how we first met, and it was in the, in the mezzanine with, uh, at that time, Councillor Vera LaFranc, uh, talking about how we were going to change, if not the world, the city of Surrey. That's exactly right. Let's begin here. Exactly. <laughs> and I think I think we did accomplish that. But we'll get to that in a second. But we want to get the listeners to know who you are, Kathleen. And uh, if you could tell us a little bit about your journey to SFU. And maybe let's start at the beginning. Growing up in Indiana. What was that like? Oh, yeah, that was great. I am a Hoosier through and through, uh, which is what people from Indiana are referred to as. Um, so uh, I grew up in a, I, I don't know, at that point, it's probably seemed like a mid-sized town, but less than 40,000 people. I knew a lot of people in my community. I'm one of five children. And we grew up in a way where you were running around with kids in a neighborhood. I played basketball all through elementary, high school, university. I was really involved with my extended family. I had two grandmothers that were very influential in my life and aunts as well. So you never could fall too far when you have so many people that know who you are, that care about you. That had a huge impact on my life. It's still to this day, I think about wherever I arrived in my life, I was enabled to be there by the people that supported me in indirect and indirect ways. So I, 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 it's funny that I came to Canada. I have to say, I knew very little about Canada growing up in the U.S., as I think a lot of people, um, that's one of the limitations is that somehow the U.S. becomes its own world. And yeah, uh, Kathleen, yeah. if you don't mind me interrupting, I, I, I'm really interested in hearing that story about coming to Canada. Mm -hmm. However, yeah. I want to stay in Indiana for a second, sure, if, you sure. don't, if you don't mind. Not at all. You played basketball at university? I did. I, well, I did. Where'd you yeah. play? Well, my first, <laughs> I, I played a semester. So I, I, start, I, I have to go back because I was uh, in high school, I was a forward. Now I'm 5'8 if I really work at it, right? And so, uh, but it was, it was enough to be a forward. And when I went to university, I was too small. I had to be a guard. And so that was a big shift. And so my father said, look, Division I school is a stretch, but I, I made a Division I school. I went to University of Cincinnati. Uh, and I was That's fantastic. It, it really was. Our first game was against UFK, University of Kentucky at, at Kentucky. Rupp Arena. 
it was just something I'd always watched on television. It was awe inspiring. It was something else. But you know, Steve, I wasn't going to get to play as much there in Division One as I was somewhere else. So I did eventually transfer to Indiana University um, Satellite School called Indiana University Southeast, which was in New Albany, Indiana. And uh, I played there for two and a half. Well, let's see. I was redshirted for a bit um, because I transferred, but I played there for two years. So I did my second and third year there. And then I went up to the main campus in Bloomington. Well, I don't think we've ever talked about this, but I'm a basketball guy myself. I mean, I never I never made it to university, but I, I coached college and university a little bit. But um, I'm curious if your connection to sport is connected to anything in your leadership style oh. as a post-secondary instructor. I think it can't help but be in some way. I had some incredible coaches in my life, even going quite a ways back, that were all about working together. And the idea was at the, at the core of basketball, just having a single strong player is never going to be a strong point for any team. You've got to be able to, as the word we even use now, collaborate, right? We've got to be able to work together and you have to play to each other's strengths and support one another. I love that, you know, basketball and assist is a very good thing. You're assisting someone else make a basket. And that's something really rewarded. You know, somebody grabbing a rebound down and getting it out to the side and moving it down the court quickly. Those are all strong features of good players, not just people who can make baskets. So Mm -hmm. do you still play? You know, it's funny. I don't, I don't still play. I still, I did coach for a while when my girls were in school. I, you know, like you, I, Mm. I coached at the, at the grade school level. I coached at the high school level. I did a brief stint at a university before I came to Canada coaching, thinking that would be my thing, Mm. but it wasn't, it wasn't. So I'm still interested. I don't play as much as I used to. And it's hard to imagine, Steve, I played so much basketball in my life. It's hard to tell you. We had a goal. If my mother were here in this room, which I feel her uh, in spirit, she would say, my daughter was constantly on the court. I shoveled the snow to play basketball. When we went on vacation, I took my basketball. It was a big part of my life. I just loved the sport so much. I'm not sure if you've heard of uh, John Wooden's Pyramid of Success. Uh, I just read a book by John Wooden, and, and he's got these kind of building blocks. And, and the cornerstone of the building block is work ethic mm-hmm. and passion. And, and obviously, those two go together. If, if you're not passionate about what you're doing, you're probably not going to have the work ethic. And that's what he looked for in players. It's just work ethic and just a passion for what they were doing. And it sounds like you had that. Yeah, Steve, it's interesting. When I was younger, maybe, uh, I don't know, 14 or so, my father would come home in the afternoon sometimes. And if it was the summer, he'd be like, why aren't you out playing ball? And I, you know, I was 14. I'm like, oh, dad. Then eventually give me a year and he didn't have to ask anymore. I was just out there Mm. a lot. So something really shifted. And so, you know, we both Mm. noticed he didn't ask me. I was just there because something shifted inside of me. I wanted to be there and I wanted to improve and I wanted to see things more fully. So it's great that you brought up that about John Wooden. So coaching wasn't your thing. Let's move on to what did become your thing, which was pretty amazing, but we got to get to Canada. So, and I don't know if you know this, but you were, you were talking earlier about sometimes the U S can become its own shell in Canada. I think the estimate is that about 70% of the Canadian population lives within, within hundred kilometers of the U S border. So we know a lot about the U S <laughs> in Canada the media and other and other things. But tell us the story of how you ended up in Canada, not just in Canada, but on the West Coast of Canada. Mm-hmm. Well, I was doing a master's degree in criminology at Indiana University in Bloomington, Indiana. A bug bit me there. I was a teaching assistant in a research methods course of all things, uh, which I grew to really love. 
And something shifted in that environment. Something happened. For me, it was tangible. And I thought, I want to do this from this point forward. I just knew that this is exactly what I want to do. There was a moment of just a synergy in that room. And I would go my whole life trying to, to recreate that moment. And so I wanted to go on and get my PhD because I figured I was going to need that if I was going to, to teach. And I wanted to stay in Bloomington. I wanted to stay close to my family, mm. but they didn't have a PhD program and it was no guarantee they're going to have it anytime soon. So mm. uh, I bring this up because I thought, well, there was a, a program that I was interested in in Tempe, Arizona, and there was another program I was interested in in Michigan. And I thought, well, I ought to try something else. And I had heard an instructor talk about Simon Fraser University. I knew nothing about it, nothing. Wow. But I dug through this filing folder in the criminology department. In the back, there was a brochure for Simon Fraser, and it said British Columbia. And this is where my ignorance, it really has to be made known. I had no clue where British Columbia was. No clue at all. Never heard of British Columbia. Didn't stop me. I went right home. I, <laughs> I looked up where British Columbia was. I thought this is going to be my third school. Like this is going to be, you know, you've got these two that I'm really thinking of. This is going to be the third one I'm going to throw in the hopper. And I got accepted. And even though I thought for sure I'd go to Tempe and do the School for Justice Studies, I, I decided to come to SFU. I thought, what could be better and than to study in Canada, to learn about a place that I knew relatively nothing about? And so I came and I, and I did my PhD in the, in the School of Criminology at Simon Fraser University. I'm just curious, Kathleen, what were your very first impressions of the West Coast coming to British Columbia? That I found my second home. Mm. Yeah, I did. I just, I thought it was incredibly beautiful. I'll never forget coming the first time. I just felt like there was part of me that had always been here. I just felt like I'd found my second home. Though it's different from Indiana, most assuredly, mm. but uh, incredibly beautiful, very uh, warm people. It was an inviting place to be and some place that I felt that I would be staying for some time. And so you did. Mm -hmm. Now, how do we go from a PhD in criminology to BD School of Business? That's got to be a story. <laughs> That's a long story, Steve. I get, let me think about how to tidy that up a little bit. Um, the best part of that long story is that someone noticed something about me. And I think that's a really important thing to bring forward. So in between the time of receiving my PhD, uh, the market was a little tight. And uh, at that point, I had one daughter who was uh, two years old, uh, three years old, I guess, at the time. And somebody that I knew, another instructor, her name is, his name is Brian Birch. He said, you know, Kathleen, there's this program downtown called the Liberal and Business Studies Program. And they have this other program called the Justice and Public Safety Leadership Program. I think you'd really thrive in that environment. You'd be working with people who are mid-career, they're adult learners. And, uh, you know, sometimes we need people to see us in ways that we can't see ourselves, Steve. And so... He really had to keep encouraging me. And I finally did it. I asked to teach a course and it was just a, a one-time course. And I knew within the second course, this is where I need to be because whatever I was doing as an instructor was all wrong because I was coming in all prepared. I had like 25 pages of notes in front of me. I was just like, I knew what I needed to share. 
And instead I walked in and people started asking questions. Mm. Well, nobody had asked questions before. And so mm. I realized, oh, I can't come in with a ready-made product. I've got to just come in and be very nimble. Mm. I have to be able to go lots of different directions. And if I don't know something, then I need to find out and bring that back next time. And it really taught me to stop trying to control the learning process. So that eventually led me to deeper engagement with the Liberal and Business Studies Program and Evan Alderson, who also saw in me somebody who could teach of all things, business ethics. And I said, same thing I said to Brian Birch, I don't really have training in this. You know, I don't know if I'm the right person for this. He said, oh, I think you are. And um, yeah, I, I ended up doing that for 11 years. And then by the time I finished, the program was, was concluding. It doesn't exist anymore. And it just so happens that within a year, the BD School of Business was looking for someone to oversee and teach their business ethics program. And I applied. Uh, for that position. And I, by my words, I won the lottery. I, mm. I got the position in my life. It still gives me goosebumps when I think about that moment. So that's how I ended up at the BD School of Business. Well, if you won the lottery, the rest of us won the lottery too, by having you in the BD School of Business. In one of those courses, you met a, a woman by the name of Vera LaFranc, who's a good friend of both of us now, who went on to be a city councilor with the city of Surrey. And Susan Byram also took a, a course with you who works for Envision Financial. And both of those people taking that course are really important to the story because Vera came to me, Vera and I were working on projects together and I didn't know you at the time, but you have to meet Kathleen Burke. I took a course for her. If we develop some course to support people in poverty, she has to be the person to teach it. So we met, any kind of recollections of that first meeting where we were kind of storming norming about about what we were thinking of doing with uh, this kind of program absolutely well first of all i met both vera and susan in the liberal business studies program vera was in cohort 10 susan i believe was in cohort 11 again you just never know who you're going to meet that's going to be so influential in another part of your journey and so i do remember we we got together in august of 2014 you and vera and i in the mez at sfu surrey and we started to talk about community and we started to talk about people who want to make contributions, but for a variety of reasons, aren't really recognized, don't maybe have the resources or the connections to help build out their skill sets to more fully realize their potential. And also at that time, I think both you and Vera were on the Surrey Poverty Reduction Coalition at, at that point. And so there was this idea that, was it in Ontario that they were already doing? In and, Hamilton. Uh, in Hamilton, in yeah. Hamilton, Ontario. That's yeah. right. They were already working with a leadership institute. And so the idea is, what could we do here? But Steve, you know what I'm going to say here, right? You, you did something profound in that moment. And then you told a story, which all good stories begin with the story, right? And you told a story about a woman and some rats. And maybe you should talk about that a minute because it was influential. Well, we were, we were doing some work in the Guilford area of Surrey on people living in poverty. And we were doing this session, kind of a workshop. And I was sitting at a table with a woman kind of explaining her story about the difficulties of living in poverty. And she talked about this rat problem in her apartment complex. And it was really bad. And she was very upset. But I could tell that as she was upset, that she wanted to do something about it and that there was a leader inside of her. I kind of looked over at her. I said, well, do you want to figure out how to solve this problem? And she said, yeah, I do. And so we supported her to work with the city of Surrey because, you know, the city of Surrey people were actually at that session 
And she kind of led the charge for her whole apartment complex to, to deal with the rat problem. And she did. The recognition there was that there's everyday people, average, let's, I, I don't like to use the word average, but everybody's got capacity to, to do things and to make change. And I saw it in this woman. And I think I shared that story with you. Absolutely. She became in some way the model of the person that we wanted to basically reach and work with in what would be eventually become the Envision Financial Community Leaders Igniting Change Program. So there it is, the name, Envision Financial Community <laughs> Leaders Igniting Change. Click for short. There have been how many cohorts now? We just finished number eight. Finished number eight. And we have now have more than 100 graduates of Click. That's exactly right. So I, I wouldn't mind if you talked a little bit about your own journey through Click and, and some of the stories of some of the students. And, and maybe talk, you also talked to me at one point informally about how your teaching of Click has impacted your other teaching. And I'm oh, just, absolutely. I'm just curious. Yeah. Maybe, maybe start there and then we can kind of go back to thinking about what the program is and talk more about it. Mm-hmm. So just very much like me, uh, that opportunity to teach in one of those innovative programs, the Justice Public Safety Leadership Program or the Liberal and Business Studies Program, being put in a different environment, I think, can be generative. And so going into Click, I knew in this experience that I didn't want to come in and just start giving information to people. I wanted to have an exchange. And in that experience, what I've learned is for me to pause, for me to recognize that already when I meet with a group of others, we're both bringing something. I have something to offer, but they have something to offer. And the value of this is this third thing that we create that doesn't exist before we come together. And so Click enabled a deepening experience with that way of teaching, teaching and learning at the same time. It's not just the instructor that's teaching. The instructor's also learning, right? Mm -hmm. And it's not just that the participants in this case are learning, they're also teaching. That kind of relationship that is built in that environment really is beneficial for all of us. And so it's helped me going back into um, the classroom, the teaching in the BD School of Business recognizing too, acknowledging that students bring their own knowledge and experience into the classroom. And that also will shape the kind of experiences and uh, understandings that we carry away. Mm -hmm. and just to be clear for our listeners, CLIC is not a formal, not yet a formal SFU program. And yet I remember after the first cohort, we were doing a debrief with the students and we said, well, you know, this is the kind of program we could do anywhere. We could do it in the library. We could do it in a, in a room at city hall. And they said, no, absolutely. You have to keep it at SFU. Why did they say that? For a lot of people that come to Click, they won't probably be coming to SFU for classes for lots of reasons. They have other types of life or family commitments that don't afford the financial freedom. They might be needing to work full time and not be able to step aside. You know, I think universities, we're still trying to figure out how to be accessible for people that are beyond, you know, their early 20s. One of the Click participants using uh, cohort three, and she said, I can't wait to tell people in my life. I'm sorry, I, I can't do that on Thursday evening. I've got my class at SFU. She loved saying that, right? It, it was really, really meaningful. I think it matters a lot. If that's not really on your, what you thought was on your path to go to a university, to actually find yourself there, to find yourself learning there and teaching others in that environment, it's pretty empowering. It's, mm. it's pretty um, affirming that you have things to offer to a university and that the university needs to learn from you. Mm -hmm. 
And so maybe maybe just one or two examples of, and to be clear, so it's it's a non-credit course, and like the woman who is working with the rats, it's it's everyday people. God, I keep using that expression. It's it's real people with lots of capacity in the Surrey community taking this program. Some of whom have been SFU students and and others, but really at the heart of it, it's it's to give people a chance to kind of explore their leadership passion in a cohort with others who are also doing the same thing. Maybe just one or two examples, if you could. Well, there's so many. First of all, I should say that we've had an age range from 16 to 67 years, right? People that are multi-generation Canadians, people that are newcomers or immigrants, people that uh, speak multiple language or people that speak only English, really diverse environment. And in that, something really magical happens. I would be remiss to not say how influential it has been to have the support of Semiyama House Society. Mm -hmm. So we have had a number of participants from Semiyama House Society, women that would be classified as having disabilities, though I think diverse abilities is a more accurate way of capturing how they're represented in the world. They have been really influential in the click process. So far to date have been women. These women may not have otherwise been in a university classroom. And the insights and knowledge that they've been able to provide in that space have really been transformative. Understanding what it means to have diverse ability where maybe you're not as fully accepted to try to understand the role of stigma, to try to demonstrate the importance of voice. All of those things have been incredibly influential in the click space. And also recognizing some people come in that have, we've had people that have had a PhD in their country of origin, Mm. had other people that have maybe have a terminus degree in education from grade six or seven. They all have things to offer. Mm -hmm. You know, you realize that people have very many different pathways to knowing and to being in the world. And we value that in that space. And so over 12 weeks, we realize we all have a right to be there and we all have something to teach and to learn. So can I just give you a bit of credit right now? I I asked you a a specific question about specific examples. And to your credit, you didn't name any particular people because I think that's brilliant because you didn't want to single anybody out because everyone is important. And the age range and, and the diversity is really the story. And so thank you for doing that. I really appreciate it. We did have an occasion in, was it 2019? I can't remember. With COVID, I feel like I always lose a year. We had an opportunity to take a couple of the Click graduates down to San Diego to present at a, at a conference. What an experience that was for me. Maybe tell us a little bit about, about what we did and, and the contributions that the, the Click graduates made to that amazing presentation. Yeah, so that was, it was with Ashoka Yu. And so really is all about prioritizing or uh, highlighting the work that's done in community and particularly how universities and communities can basically need each other, Mm -hmm. how they can inform each other and are integrated whether they acknowledge it or not. And so we did, we we took two participants um, from the CLIC program with us, uh, Krista and Q. I wish I could tell you their cohort, but I don't have it in my mind right now. But in that environment, we were able to talk with others who were working in university and community partnerships about the CLIC program. Both of them brought their direct experiences of 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 not only with CLIC, but also doing work in community and how 
that has such a profound, not just effect on their personal lives, but what they share with others, the kind of work they do in their paid employment, the kind of uh, insights they bring into their community work that they're doing, how they leverage those experiences in other places. Mm -hmm. And it enabled them to meet other people like themselves from other parts of the world. It was a very influential experience for all of us. And I was really grateful. Steve, you were so supportive in that regard. The tenant joined as well from Unity, a CEO of Unity. I think it was just a singular type of experience. I don't think we'll forget that very much. And I know other people really also not only became aware of Click, but who knows where they took the experience of Click when they went back to their home, right? To their home university or their community and thought about, why can't we do something like that? Yeah, so Ashoka U, uh, SFU is an Ashoka U change maker campus, and that's the phrase, being a change maker. And I think Click is such a great example of innovation around change making. And I remember when I did the application for us to present, and they got back to me, you got so many names on your application. And I said, yeah, we do. And they're all going to be there. And they, they all have something to share and are, are definitely part of the story. And I remember with Krista and Doug, just hanging out with them. Remember we had the last night, to, it was a weird conference because it was like a resort and there was a little beach and Doug Tennant grabbed a bunch of wood and we made a fire. And <laughs> I remember that, yeah. Hanging out but it was great. It, it was, it really symbolized everything. We're coming together, right? Mm -hmm. Around a, a source of light, a source of warmth. And uh, in a lot of ways, that is what communities and universities do, right? They come together around, around a common interest, a common desire. Mm -hmm. Kathleen, we're just about out of time. This has been fantastic. I could talk to you all day. I did want to go back to Susan Byram though, uh, because you met her and interesting, you know, the cohorts of both Vera and Susan, I'm not going to ask you how long ago that was, not even going to go there, but Susan became very influential because she does work for Envision Financial. That's right. Our pilot of this program was, you know, we cobbled together uh, monies from a, a variety of different sources and grants, We're not really sure where it would go, but the first cohort was really successful. And what we heard from people who participated was, you've got to keep this going, you know, as much as you can. And uh, in comes Susan Byram, and she uh, is the executive director of community investment at Envision. And we were just having a conversation and she just said, look, if you're doing this, I want to, I want to get behind this. I believe in this. I, I, I really want to support. This is the kind of work that Envision wants to support. And uh, so since our second cohort, they, they became involved in our second cohort. So they have supported seven of our cohorts financially. Wow. Not only that, Steve, I should also mention, they also support a, a community grant we call the SPARK grant that was uh, implemented in the end of 2016. And to date, we've had 14 community projects that have run with SPARK grant funds. So I cannot thank Susan Byram and, and Vision Financial enough for their ongoing support to uh, the longevity and the success of Click. And, and just to be clear, the, the SPARK grant is for for the students to take an idea that was developed in the course to actually implement it in the community. That's exactly right. It's only available to people who have completed this 12-week, 36-hour click program. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's fantastic. Last question. Five years from now, where do you think we should take click? I mean, I have some ideas, but I want to ask you if you have any ideas of how we can uh, keep building the program. Well, I think two things. The first thing that comes to mind is, is mentorship, that there are people in CLIC that could be mentoring university students and vice versa. Mm. I think that we could do a better job of creating places where those connections happen mm. that I don't think happen right now. 
because I think that there's people that don't come into university that we need in university. Hmm. So I think that's really important. And I think also um, there's ways for people in Click to actually, I think about the woman that you told that was trying to figure out what to do with the rats in her building. And there are people that do things in the shadow all the time. Hmm. And I think five years from now, we need to do a better job of spotlighting people that are doing work in community. And that could be people that come through Click, but people that that already are doing things that may not ever even participate in Click for a whole host of reasons. But I think we can do a better job of just of affirming them, affirming the work they do, that we depend on them, whether we notice them or not. I think that's really important, at least for me. Well, that's a great way to end. Thank you so much, Kathleen. Always great to talk to you. It's great to have you as a friend and uh, you winning the lottery meant that I personally won the lottery too, because I got to meet you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Steve. Thank you so very much. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Journey Here. We hope you'll join us again on our next episode for more stories of people making an impact in their community. You can find The Journey Here on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts.